Welcome to, to Afrosaya. 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 Hello, everyone. Welcome to Afro Saya, the Afro Latino podcast. Uh, my name is Alex, and I'm here from Sacramento, California. Um, I've been missing doing the podcast, and as again, I'm super, super busy, and I hate that. So, my family's been asking me, like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you so busy? Like, what is the thing that is keeping you so busy from? Uh, preventing to do things that you like, like the podcast. And I was like, I don't know. Okay, well, I do, but it's all in my head. Like, I know exactly what's going on, but I don't think so people know because I don't tell everyone what I'm doing. So I am I think I have to, like, spell it out what I'm doing. <laughs> so the reason that I'm super busy is because uh, I am... I'm a teacher. I'm a high school teacher. Um, I have my own room, my own classroom. It's fantastic. I love my classroom. I decorate every day. I think about something different that I want to put in the walls and I want to change the setting. Um, So I always find something to do with my classroom. But I also have to uh, prepare materials for my class. Like I have to do lesson plans. I have to do copies. Um, I have to see what information I'm going to provide to my students. And also I have to kind of like try before I give them because I have to see what the results uh, should be of that exercise, of that particular assignment that I'm giving to them. So I am super busy because I'm doing that type of work. And plus, I have to take professional developments, workshops. Um, I have to be in meetings. I have to, uh, yeah, I have to check with everybody. What am I doing? And at the end, at the end of the day, I'm coming home and I'm like, oh, I still have to plan. Oh, I still have to think about it uh, for the next day. So it never stops. And on the weekends, I am doing grading pretty much um, because I'm teaching language and language is not about just one aspect. There is multiple angles that you can see how a person is is understanding the language. And so I can see my students now are writing. So this week, this past week, I focused on writing and I can see that they've been writing. Of course, there is so little mistakes that they still have to improve, but I cannot have one template. That's what I'm looking for, for a template. No one basic template can tell me how my students are writing, especially on language. I want them to see... Um, that I really care about what they're writing because I do really. So I'm looking forward uh, to have more information on that. So I'm spending a lot of time doing that because I want to read and then I want to see what's their mistakes and how can I reinforce that information coming this week. Um, And that takes a lot of time, people, a lot of time. Even if you are not doing anything and just start thinking about it, it takes time. I used to work with grown-ups, pretty much, I will say that. Um, I was a professor at the university. So in Bolivia, I used to teach grown-up kids, <laughs> if it's ironic to say that, right? So they were all grown-ups, so they were ready to go. I did not have to deal with uh, behavior issues. 
But at the same time, you know, the students that I have, they are coming with a lot of energy and they are just being kids. You know, they are 14, 13 years old and they think things are funny. Sometimes they spend a lot of time trying to really focusing on doing something. And that is part of my job, teaching them how to focus, how to go back to where you need to do right now. There are moments where you can enjoy you know, being silly, being funny, but this is the time to like get education and get the information and for you to learn those things. So that is also part of the education that I am uh, providing now. So I'm kind of like giving not only lessons like academic information, but at the same time giving uh, information that can help them in the long way. I'm also going to school. Um, I'm an online student, full-time student. So I have to read and also like go into online debates, almost like Facebook, but very academic. And I have to like respond, prompts, information. So I'm not only teaching, but I'm also a student at the same time. Um, And also I have to do my podcast because I love this. This is the thing that really takes away from me from everything. Like, no, this is the way that, (laughs) this is the only thing that I enjoy doing it where I don't have to like really respond to something. You know what I'm saying? It's not like your job. It's more like you choose to do this and you find pleasure, mm, pleasure when you're doing things that, you know, you just want to do it for fun. Oh, I'm also a Zumba instructor. I continue doing that. I will not give up. I will never give up that. (laughs) It's my only workout. It's the only way I can be on shape and keep my, my blood flowing you know, oxygen giving into my my body, my brain. Um, and I also have to uh, learn new two songs and I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to be super, super happy about it. Uh, this past Saturday, I was uh, with a couple other instructors. We have this party, which was amazing. Uh, it was for a water in Ethiopia because it was running for a fundraising event. So that was also really important and interesting and I love it. Uh, there were a bunch of other Zumba instructors like really ones the ones that I admired before now we were like dancing together that was super cool um yeah so that's how's my you know life going on right now but I'm super excited I'm super happy too um and this week I'm going to spend time talking with a Boricua lady she is from Puerto Rico and she's going to be telling me all about this uh, rich information about the Boricua identity um and then I talked to her about of course you know Afro Puerto Ricans and how the identity of Black people in Puerto Rico is pretty much erased from their identity because of the uh, missing contact, if you want to say that, with the diaspora, with the African diaspora. Uh, Puerto Ricans seem themselves probably more like an Americans, and also, uh, and probably if you are like black and you live in New York, most people will think, oh, you're African America, right? Until you start speaking Spanish, and then we'll be like, oh, where are you from? Like Venezuela, Colombia. But they will never associate you being black from Puerto Rico. They will probably be associating you with uh, those places like in South America where most of the people are uh, blacks. Um, But the problem is, 
when you don't see yourself as such. Like in Bolivia, a lot of people were telling black people that we were not Afro-Bolivians. We were just Bolivians, period. Like, no, you are Bolivians. Like they refused to accept our identity as being blacks and also having the story of of black, right? Coming from Africa, being part of the slavery transatlantic, um, even for the country of Bolivia, recognizing that there were slaves, like they were a slave, former slave country, uh, even recognizing that that was like a struggle for them. So this is what I was talking to my friend Marie. So we're going to go to that conversation. Super amazing, super interesting. So stay here. Don't go anywhere. Let's play some music and let's go to the interview. Thanks for listening to me. Oh my God, this is amazing. I love my podcast. <laughs> All right, my friend. So I have a good, good friend with us. Join us today in the show. She is Marie. No, Nubia Feliciano. I hope I got it right. Yes, there you go. So welcome to Afro Saya, Maria. Thank you very much, Alex. I really appreciate you having me here today. Wonderful. Yeah, so we're super excited because we've been talking about Afro-Latinos and we are covering about Afro-Latinidad these days. So we wanted to talk to you about Puerto Rico. And I'm super curious about your later research. Oh, by the way, let me introduce you formally too. Let's, it's important to say that Maria is, uh, she's a PhD um, professor and she is studying in culture. So tell us a little bit more about that too, Maria. Yes, I've got a PhD in education uh, with an emphasis in curriculum and cultural studies. So it's, a, it's education. So looking at how curriculum or ways of studying things are put together within school and then cultures, how culture is built or reinforced or interpreted within an education context. So really my life has been uh, studying the world of education and school. I've, I love it. I love what goes on there. I love what uh, you know, the people, I love the potential. And so I've, uh, everything that I've done, even my counseling degree is really framed within uh, education. And so that my, my research and my, my doctorate is in that. And so I, I, I teach at Chapman University here in Southern California. And I also have taught classes at UC Irvine as well in Southern California and uh, at Cal State Long Beach. That so, is all so with, fantastic. All within schools of education or, or at least Chicano Latino studies. Okay, well, wonderful. It's so interesting what you're doing too. Like you had an amazing, amazing career and being in education also, I, I'm so sure you bring a little bit of the awareness into every class about being Boricuas and being, being Afro-Latino. So today we want to talk about it. And 
When we were having the conversation, you mentioned the Afro-Boricua thing, and I was so intrigued to learn about it, and I'm sure a lot of people are also interested to know a little bit about more. So can you tell us uh, about the term, where is that coming from, and who identify as Afro-Boricua? Yes, Boricua is the person from the island of Borinquen, which is a Native American term or Taino term for the island of Puerto Rico and some of the other Antilles in the Caribbean, but uh, primarily Puerto Rico. Uh, the Taino word for the island is Borinquen, and those who are from there are Boricuas. And so uh, the term Afro-Boricua is something that I use as a way of centering Afro-Latinidad in Puerto Rico. And so there's afro uh, Venezolanos and Afro-Peruanos, and so an Afro-Boricua is actually is a person of African descent from Puerto Rico. Wonderful. All right. So this is important to know, too, because as I was saying early in the show, we were learning that, for instance, people in Brazil, they don't identify as much as Afro-Brazilians. They'd rather be called negros or mulatos or sambos, which is more empowering to them. And that's important. So instead of we assuming that, oh, Puerto Ricos are Afro-Puerto Ricans, they are Afro-Boricans, because that's how they will identify. And I think that's so important to tell. Um, to the people. So uh, going a little bit into the history with the uh, African presence in, in Puerto Rico, I don't know if you can elaborate a little bit more about that and share with the audience about uh, the presence of Black people in Puerto Rico. Well, as a lot of people know that the, the presence of Africans in the Americans can, in the Americas can go back to the 15th and 16th century. And so in, in, it's for many people that uh, it's just where the boat stopped, <laughs> and most of the boats stopped south of the United States of America's southern border. So about 5 five to 10% of all of the enslaved Africans were dropped off in the United States of America, and 90 to 95% were dropped off at different ports uh, in, south of that, so Mexico, Central and South America, the Caribbean. And so that's where most of the people of African descent came from. It was around the 1500s. Uh, the majority came from the slave trade. Uh, a small, very small percentage came through just normal travels from the eastern, I'm sorry, from the western coast. Uh, from, from the Pacific uh, before then. So there's presence of African people in the Americas prior to the slave trade. And so they came on their own. But it was, you know, in comparison to how many came because of the slave trade, it's, it's percentage-wise fractional. Mm -hmm. So the, the major presence of African people in the Americas uh, was brought about through the slave trade mm -hmm. uh, around the 15th, 16th century. All right. Wonderful. That is a story. 101, people. This is real. Yeah. So we also wanted to know if in Puerto Rico there is a specific uh, traditional dance. A lot of friends keep telling me, I know the bachata, the salsa, but I'm like, that is a general, you know, it's everywhere. 
But uh, for Afro-Bolivians, for instance, La Saya or the Saya music, it's very traditional and typical from Bolivia. In Peru, the, the cajones, what is it called, Las Cajas, is very traditional for them. Is there a specific dance that you can mention about Puerto Rico that the audience should know too? Both the plena and la bomba are both um, musical forms that bring about a particular way of dancing. It's a communication between the dancer and the drummer that is uh, uh, came with the enslaved Africans to the Americans and primarily to Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. So those two, the plena and la bomba uh, in Puerto Rico are really, you can really pinpoint that 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 is an African origin of our musical art form in Puerto Rico. Wonderful. Um, we also wanted to know about your research. We know you did our research on the Afro-Boricua, and uh, you can tell us uh, what was the main focus on your research and if this was part of your uh, PhD studies when you were doing it. Yeah. It, it was. Uh, I struggled a little bit to find a topic as those who have studied in school, even if you're doing an undergraduate research project, what are you going to write about? And um, so, so I did some work just looking at Afro-Latinos' uh, identity formation because I have a counseling degree, and so I'm, always, I'm very interested in identity formation in school and transitions from being a high school student to a college student uh, or an undergraduate student to a medical student. Uh, those were two areas of interest that I've had. And so looking at transitions and identity were things that I wanted to continue to study when I was doing my doctorate. And so I struggled to figure out a population. And one of my faculty advisors actually is a Puerto Rican woman. And she says, well, why don't you just study people like you? And I said, what, Puerto Rican? She says, no, no, black Puerto Ricans. Mm -hmm. There's there's like almost none of you here in on the west coast most of us are on you know the eastern seaboard the southern eastern seaboard primarily and we sort of blend in with the african-american community uh, because it's just easier and human beings have a tendency just in general to find the paths of least resistance so that we can just live a happy life mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. oftentimes instead of the constant explaining it's like why are you speaking spanish well you know blah blah blah, blah. it's like you know what, I'll just, you know, black folks don't seem to have a problem with me and they don't seem to ha ask so many questions. So I'll just, I'll just hang out with them. So, <laughs> so the, we are, that's where you find a lot of uh, Afro-Latinos is in and among the, the black community for the most part, because there's so much um, mixed folks in the black community already. So it's a very inclusive, heterogeneous population already. And so But we do stand out. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, I, then I need to find some um, black black Puerto Rican people like me. And looking was a real challenge because a lot of, I came across the first barrier was that Puerto Ricans, like most people outside of the United States, have a national identity. Uh, we're Puerto Ricans. We're not segmented into Afro-Puerto Ricans or white Puerto Ricans or um Indian Puerto Ricans, not from not indigenous Indians, like uh, you know how there's a uh, there's a strong presence of the Indian subcontinent in the Caribbean. Well, there's also Indians in Puerto Rico, and so you know there's they don't segment. Uh, we don't segment ourselves like that on the island, and so it turns out that you know I was coming up, I was bringing in a very U.S. way of looking at the Latino identity, 
And what was coming back at me was a national identity of being Latino. And so when I would ask, I went down to a cultural center in San Diego and I did a presentation and I would I would talk to people and they say, well, you know, I don't, I don't consider myself black. I consider myself Puerto Rican. And I said, but uh, you're clearly of African descent. So it's not part of an identity that you would consider being part of being a part of you being also Puerto Rican. And they would say no. And so that really was the first uh, awareness that I had that my understanding of being Puerto Rican uh, was influenced by my time here in the United States. Mm-hmm. That there were Af- there was a, there's a lot of hyphenated identities in the United States. So I just brought that understanding to uh, how how I was making sense of who I was as a Puerto Rican person. And so not all Puerto Ricans came to the same conclusions I did mm-hmm. about that. And so I thought, okay, so now that's what I'm dealing with. And then the second thing is that uh, I was actually told to my face that uh, you know. Tú sabes que siempre dicen que perros y negros vienen de Puerto Rico, pero there's more to us than that. Like, oh my wow. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, you know, first of all, I had never heard that phrase before. Before this woman, a very light-skinned Puerto Rican woman, said that to me. Wow. And she had no qualms about saying it to mm. me. And I and I come across, you know, I blend in with the with the African-American community. Um, I consider myself part of the black diaspora because mm-hmm. everybody of African descent is part of the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. I'm not part of the African-American community because I wasn't culturally raised in the African-American community. So mm-hmm. I blend in, but it's clear through my mannerisms and uh, and my, you know, the, the non-verbals that I'm not from that community. Mm-hmm. I can pass as an African-American, but I'm clearly not mm-hmm. from those, those of who are Puerto, who are African-American. They will say, yeah, there's something different about you. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I'm Puerto Rican. So culturally, uh, I'm Puerto Rican, but I'm part of the African diaspora. And that's how I was looking at this mm-hmm. research. But talking to other Puerto Ricans, they had a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. And so I struggled finding participants because I was defining Afro-Boricuas in one way, and it wasn't that's not how my the, my target audience saw themselves. So I had to expand my language and and say, do you consider yourself black? Mm-hmm. And they would say, yeah, I, could, I guess I could pass for black. Mm-hmm. I'm Puerto Rican, and so they had a very national identity. And when I would say, ask them, would you consider, would you be able to pass for a black person, or how comfortable are you with the in the black community? Uh, then I then I was able to get at another aspect of who they were. Um, that was that they seemed to have placed in another part of their identity, and so I was actually I had to go to Northern California, South Carolina, Illinois, and Florida to find participants <laughs> because because <laughs> I did a national. I went on Facebook. Yeah. I I went like I said. I went to in person places where I could, but I went to a national conference and tried to find participants and it ended up there were four of us and then I had to put myself in the mix so it was sort of auto ethnographic in addition to having participants so uh, we worked together to tell our collective story through my research and uh, testimonials we came across things you know being an Afro-Boricua and so uh, Afro-Boricua was one way to sort of bring in Mm -hmm. sort of sit in the middle of how the United States 
would define us and how Puerto Ricans would define ourselves. So Afro-Boric was that. Was like, so we had these, I came across these testimonials or these large ways of declaring our identity. There's a lot of things that came across. One of them is uh, incognito, which is sort of like a play on words of incognito. incognito. And so we, we, like I said, we can blend into the black community um, but that's about the we can't blend in it. We can't blend into the Latino community as Latinos often define themselves mm-hmm. because they've also bought into the fact that most Latinos look like Jennifer Lopez or Ricky Martin mm-hmm. if they're from Puerto Rico. And so when I'm in that space, I'm my presence is questioned by other Puerto Ricans. It's like, no, you realize 70 percent of the island looks like me. 30 mm-hmm. percent <laughs> look like you. I'm just saying, and so that 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 incognito uh, thing, uh, concept came through because we can sort of blend into the black community, um, and then uh, let, me, let me ask you on the uh, on the question with the uh, finding the Latinos or the Boricuas. So you were trying to find Boricuas yes. outside the uh, the island, no, like. Yes finding inside the island, yeah. Actually, I tried to find some on the island. I reached out to one of the Puerto R- University of Puerto Rico at Rio Piedras, mm-hmm. and I had, had my had my flyer sent to a contact there, and she talked to some of her students, and uh, I talked to them on the phone, and they did not see themselves as qualifying mm-hmm. for my study. Mm-hmm. And I talked to them in Spanish, and I talked to them in English. Still. And they did not, and they did not want to participate yeah. because they didn't see themselves as qualifying mm-hmm. as uh, as being a participant. And so, yeah. I, and I would ask them, "Well, why do you think you don't qualify?" It's like because I don't see myself as black. Yeah. And yeah. I, we would be doing a video conference, so I would yeah. be able to see them. And I'm thinking, "Oh yeah. Yeah. my goodness, you're darker <laughs> than I am." But okay. Do you yeah. think? Do you think that also has to do with the term, uh, with the term of uh, race, like? Meaning, if you're black, it is as you say, uh, the perro and the negro comes together. Uh, because I wonder if that has to do with that. I think so. I think just like uh, in um, other places that have a colonial history, or even a very, uh, I don't know, a religion and history and literature, have always used darkness to represent badness yeah. or places uh, to be afraid of, or issue things to be afraid of, and so. It's all. It's in our subconscious as a species now, almost, to be afraid of the dark or to be afraid or fearful of things that are dark, and therefore you don't want to be associated with it. Mm-hmm. And so, for someone to say, um, "Would you consider yourself black?" Yeah. All of that comes rushing forward, and if their first instinct would often say no. It's mm-hmm. Like, all right, but it's clear that you're yeah. of yeah. African descent. I mean, there's nothing yeah. wrong with being African. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you say, when you use what I, what is considered a diasporic mm-hmm. rep- representative term like black, it's, it's seen as a negative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, and that's probably what, what, re- what kept a lot of people from seeing themselves as qualifying for my research project mm-hmm. is that they didn't see themselves as black, even mm-hmm. though I asked them, you know, mm-hmm. you know, well, how would you define yourself? It's like, you know, morenita. Yeah. Oh, mulato. Yeah. Yeah. It's like wheat colored in Puerto Rico, you know, in English. Trigueñitas. Like, Trigueñitas. No, you're a little darker than that. I'm thinking to myself, it's like, but however people come to the, the to their understanding of who they are is up to them. And yeah. 
And I just look at that and I kind of looking at it from a psychological perspective. It's like, what is going on in your mind that this level of rationalization is coming through that, you know, and I read other studies that black women are stuck in this uh, place where they, they don't want to marry somebody or date somebody darker, mm-hmm. but people also don't want to date them and marry them because they're darker. So they're stuck in this. Uh, not wanting to, people like them and realizing that people don't like them because of the same reason, mm-hmm. skin color. Yeah. Um, Self-hatred and hatred of the same is, it's just really, it's, it's a yeah. huge mind trip. It's a lot of problems. So, and, and on this study, I'm sure you have like tons of anecdotas, anecdoticas, historias. I don't know if it's the word to say, but um, what was the final conclusion? Like, how, how do you close this interesting investigation that you were starting and you were like, oh my God, this is like a 10 year project. How do you ended up like closing that, that, that research? Tell us. Well, one of the things we found out that a lot of these women who, which varied in skin tone, from blanquita blanquita very very white to very very dark darker than me i sat somewhere in the middle because we did a google hangout once everybody agreed that it's okay to show show their faces so we got to see each other uh we came to the conclusion that uh we do represent the various ways we identify as black people that that same representation of variations is what's represented on the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. You've got Africans from the north that are very much a mix of people, just like that sort of the Mediterranean blend, and then you go into the Saharan and then the sub-Saharan, and then you've got those then that go into the South African, and you see a variation, and then because of migration, again, you have more of the Indian subcontinent populations there. And so you've got this blend of people, and... We're, they're all African. Mm-hmm. And I think in the through this study, we find that be, how we've come to uh, identify ourselves as Afro-Boricua really is something that's reminiscent of how Africans on the continent identify themselves. It is, a, we're a blended people. The African continent is, a, you know, is the, the, sort of the birthplace of the genetic material for humanity. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, you know, it's hard to ignore that when it pops up anywhere else on the planet. It's for those of us who have it in more recently in our genetic makeup as opposed to a very distant past. Mm-hmm. It, it's just something that it's like, well, this is, this is who we are. We are people of the African diaspora and we are out of Puerto Rico and just declaring that as, and owning it and um, not being shy with speaking Spanish and having people look at us as if we have two heads. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, though our hair became, it was a big issue where we could flat iron our hair and we literally, be, we could move. People would look at us and they would go, okay, she's black. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can speak Spanish and they would go, oh, where did you learn that? Mm-hmm. But the minute we flat ironed our hair, it was like they couldn't have, they couldn't, they didn't have an, a question to ask us or a rationalization in their mind to categorize us. It put us in this, it's called liminal space, this space in between where uh, you don't fit in one place and you don't fit in another and it's hard to define. Our hair really made us sort of disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't categorize us. So uh, the, 
and that's how hair in Puerto Rico is. It's very, you know, you can flat iron it. You can do a lot of things and it changes texture because there's, again, such a mix of genetic material. Yeah. So we just declare it and own it. And uh, at least for the five of us, mm-hmm. uh, we all had college. We're all college educated. That was one of the criteria because I was looking at how college helped you begin the identity formation process. Because you can grow up with your friends and they know you and they've seen you with the, you know, the funny hair and the funny clothes and they know your family story and all that. But then you go to college and then you have to figure out what that story is because people are going to ask you, so where are you from? Mm-hmm. What are you? You know, where'd you grow up? And you have to figure out what to tell them. And so that starts the identity formation process in a very deliberate, conscious way. And so I wanted to see how that happened for Afro-Boricuas. And that's, you know, that that's what we all had in common. We had all gone to college. And so we have a clear sense of who we are and, and mm-hmm. you know, we can't take that away from us. You know, yeah. we're, we're Boricuas of yeah. African descent. And so, yeah. So this story is super interesting. I'd really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for uh, sharing with us, Maria. We are having Maria Nubia Feliciano Marie. Nubia Feliciano, she's a PhD uh, professor, and I have like three things to share with that. Bolivia went the same situation, like my mom, I was so fortunate to have my mom that she was so proud to be black, but even though we faced tons of discrimination on the street, to just name one, my mom said we won't go to the movies or the restaurants because people think that black people cannot afford it and they will not even sell us tickets. So that was like in the late 1990s. Um, That was something hard. People didn't think that they were blacks because they were, no, we're Bolivians. We're Bolivians. Even indigenous people were mentalized that, no, you're not indigenous. You are Bolivian. One, uh, in a study in the census, 60% of the people responded to be an indigenous from Inca descent. So that changed the whole dynamics of being Bolivia. And also Afro-Bolivians today feel super proud, but it took 20 years 28 years to recognize finally that change. Uh, As you said, also, it helps to understand this study. And that's probably people don't think about it. Because when you recognize the dynamics, what is going on in a specific country with a specific population, you can assess and address issues like education, access to opportunity. As you say, how many Boricuas are in or Afro-Boricuas are in education, having the opportunity to to go to school as Afro-Boricuas. So that is super important and key and that's what I also associate identity and finally vulnerable communities Afro Boricuas or Afro Latinos are vulnerable everywhere including African Americans and together we can solve the problems if African Americans are fighting against mass shooting alone they will not solve anything we need to get together because we all are facing a lot of issues so those are my three takeaways that I was like connecting while you were narrating this story I was like oh my god similar to Bolivia Imagine how miles away, but similar stories. Absolutely. Amen. I was nodding my head the whole time you were talking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you very, very much for this appreciation. Um, I just want to say one more thing. I met a friend in South Carolina when I moved to the States to learn English. And she said, I am from Puerto Rico. And I have three basic questions for her. I was like, wait a minute. For us Bolivians, they tell us in education that Puerto Ricans are Americans. And I was like, you're American too. Why are you learning English? You're supposed to know English, right? And she was like, no, I speak Spanish. I am a Latina. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it is. A, it is. A, we are technically Americans, but the island itself uh, is is one of the is a truly bilingual nation. Mm-hmm. It really is a truly bilingual entity, Every, you know, and that started from you know back in uh, 1945 with the teachers ensuring that the, the schools were but were at least bilingual because the children were suffering under an English only policy. And once it was bilingual, you know, the test scores went up, the learning outcomes assessments went up because that is our heritage language. And you start kids where they're at and get them to where you want them to be. You don't try to erase where they're from and expect to impose something from the outside. And so we're truly bilingual in that sense. Everybody in Puerto Rico speaks English, at least to like the eighth grade, depending on how far they went to education. But everybody speaks Spanish as well. And so that's what you hear on television. People speak Spanish. But, you know, the minute you you ask them something in English, it's we can speak English, too. So it, it is you know, depending on how far along you came in your education to the United States. You could be a Spanish only speaker and you have to learn English. So or the other way around, you're an English only speaker and you're learning Spanish. Yeah, yeah. And also you've, you uh, said it very well with the um, media representation, like everyone thinks, oh, Jennifer Lopez and Ricky Martin, the only two people from Puerto Rico. No, they are more citizens. And also, like, unfortunately, the situation that went through Puerto Rico, it was the only way that even people were saying, oh, my God, I didn't know Puerto Ricans were American citizens. And I'm like, yes, yes, I was from Bolivia and I know I knew they were way before. <laughs> Yeah, we don't need a passport. Yeah, yeah, we can come and go whenever we want. We don't need a visa. <laughs> yes. But yes. yeah, we get that a lot. <laughs> All right, Maria. So we're going to continue talking. We will have you in a different show because I really want to talk about the political chaos going on in Puerto Rico, too. Um, but if you want to ask me something or you want to contribute to this final um, uh, conversation that we're having, please go ahead. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, this is one of the, I think, the only podcast that really deals with that. The issues of Latinos of African descent. All populations need a voice, and we do, and we also need a place where we can share with the world our accomplishments, our struggles, because the more stories we hear from different people, that's how we can figure out commonalities, universal truths. But if we don't hear everybody's stories and we assume things about people, it makes it difficult to truly help one another and lift each other up. So I really appreciate this podcast. And I've let everybody know before I came online that I'm going to be being interviewed. And I put a link to your podcast and I encourage everybody to subscribe because it's such a wonderful space. It really is. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing, Alejandro. Oh, thank you very, very much. That makes us so, so happy. We're doing something good. So we're going to play a little bit more music and we continue with the final thoughts. So thank you again. Stay connected. This is Afro Saya. Sabroso, este ritmo festejo aquí. ¿Cómo? Este ritmo de negros, este ritmo sabroso, este ritmo festejo aquí. Así. Este ritmo de negros, este ritmo sabroso, este ritmo festejo aquí. Este ritmo de negros, este ritmo sabroso, este ritmo festejo aquí. Yo no había nacido. 
Afrosomia. Conocimiento. Identidad.